Hey, well, we want to take a look at the book of Mordechai. Oh, I mean the book of Esther. Yes, uh, we had a guest uh, here last uh, Wednesday night as we retold the story. Uh, and uh, boy, you know, it was, it was uh, very interesting. Uh, Mordechai came and uh, told uh, the story of Esther. And, and uh, very interesting. Okay. Well, uh, back to the story of Esther. There are some really profound lessons for us to learn. Um, I, of course, you know, when you look at the book of Esther, uh, nobody knows, just to give you the, uh, the skinny on the book of Esther here, of course, nobody knows exactly who the author is, although the Talmud attributes it to the men of the great synagogue, like in Ezra's day uh, uh, and, and beyond. Josephus attributes it to Mordecai. Uh, it was written around 400 uh, before, years before the Common Era. Okay. Uh, now, Ahasuerus, the king, is Xerxes I, identified as Xerxes I, okay, historically. Okay. Uh, and uh, the word God, of course, is not present. It's not the only book of the Bible where the name God is not present, but uh, here it's, uh, you know, it's really, uh, in a way, um, part of the story. Okay, as we'll see. Uh, the book of Esther gives us an understanding of why we celebrate Purim. Tells us why we celebrate Purim. As I, as I said on a Wednesday night, that I, you know, it's the easiest of all Jewish holidays to explain. Just read the story of Esther. Now you know why, what we, what, why we do this. Okay? Uh, and, uh, and that's, you know, there's no uh, esoteric knowledge about Esther here. No, no, uh, it's all right there in, in the book of Esther. Uh, so not only, of course, does it explain the holiday, but uh, it emphasizes God's protection of the Jewish people, uh, even in the diaspora. And that's very, very important, that uh, even outside of the land, outside of the land, uh, very, very important. And, and I will just say this, uh, that... I, you know, as believers in Yeshua, we, no matter who we are, we can apply all, the, all of the great truths of uh, uh, Purim because in the coming of Yeshua, what has happened is God has opened up the doors for those who are not Jewish to come under the kingship of the God of Israel. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to pretend to be Jewish or any of it but you come under the kingship of the God of Israel. And so whatever the Jewish people experience uh, you know, as uh, the chosen people, it becomes mirrored, not exactly the same, but becomes mirrored in the life of Messiah followers, uh, all Messiah followers, right? Uh, and, uh, and so that's very important. In fact, that word diaspora, it's a Greek word, uh, and it's used in the Brit Hadashah in referring to uh, uh, two uh, letters uh, in the New Covenant Scriptures, uh, James and 1 Peter, which refers to Jews living as aliens outside of the land and uses the term diaspora. See? So it's kind of interesting there. Uh, and we certainly apply those truths in James and 1 Peter to, to all of our lives. And uh, so we can ap apply the truths of Esther uh, as well. 
Although the uh, book of Esther, the story of Esther, has served remarkably as hope for the Jewish people for thousands of years through all the pogroms and, and persecutions and uh, inquisitions and holocaust and, and all of it. What the story of Esther tells us is that uh, God indeed remains faithful, even if we don't see it in our own life or lifetime. God indeed remains uh, uh, faithful. If you're not familiar with the story at all, uh, of course, Shushan is uh, in uh, a modern-day Iran. It's in Persia, modern-day Iran. And uh, you may not be aware of it, but Iran had a very vibrant Jewish community all the way to 1979. I don't know if you're uh, aware of that. Uh, you know, when the fall of the Shah and all of that, in, in your, perhaps in some of your lifetimes, right? You might even remember that. All right. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, the story uh, uh, takes place uh, in Persia uh, after the Babylonian captivity. Vashti is banished after refusing, as I said on Wednesday, I don't think it was to make a sandwich for uh, the king as... Uh, one of the animated stories of Esther suggests. Uh, okay, uh, Queen Vashti is banished after refusing a humiliating command of the king. Esther becomes the new queen. Haman manipulates the king into signing an edict to murder the Jews. Mordechai implores Esther to use her influence to save the Jewish people from certain death. Esther tells the king that Haman is intent on destroying her people. Haman is hanged. The king signs another edict, allowing the Jews to protect themselves and to fight off their adversaries. The Jewish people protect themselves and are victorious. The Jewish people are commanded to celebrate the victory uh, with the joyous uh, festival of Purim. There you have it. Of course, there's a lot more there, but uh, that's the basic uh, uh, story. Uh, customs are, of course, to read the book of Esther. And actually... Uh, we were supposed to read it from the Megillat, Esther, from, an, from the scroll of uh, Esther. Marcy read a few of the verses at the beginning, uh, and then uh, we, uh, uh, we read it uh, in English. Now, here's a, 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 just something that comes to my mind in my own uh, life. So growing up in the synagogue I went to, uh, there was not the luxury of hearing the story in English. All right, So it was just chanted in Hebrew. So, I, just like here, not everybody could just simply, oh, okay, I'm, I'm following the story. No. So, uh, what they would do is, I, I remember this distinctly. Uh, of course, when you're a kid, these are the things you remember. Uh, in our synagogue, there was a big, it looked like a stoplight, like a, like a yellow, red, and green. You know what I mean? And, and uh, so, it would be, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember, which would, which would they do? Yeah, it would be red like be red, when it turned green, like go, like, you know, now, you know, when it come to Haman's name. So uh, we got the signal, uh, okay, we've come to Haman's name, and we take our groggers and, and, and all, all that. Now, in our junior congregation, uh, I, which was like a, a, a service where kids actually led the service, like a kid's service, there they would read it in English, so uh, we would kind of know what's going on there. Uh, but I, I distinctly uh, remember that. Um, and of course, 
The Humantash, and that was about the story there. Okay. Oh, and costumes. Oh, yes. Purim costumes. So, groggers, noisemakers, costumes, plays. That's another biggie. Uh, uh, Purim plays. Purim spiels. Purim plays. Uh, uh, in fact, in, uh, uh, in another uh, congregation, uh, they did uh, Purim to the soundtrack of Les Mis. How's that? They had a really cool name for it, too, like, like Megillah. They used Megillah at the beginning of Les Megillah, something, I can't remember. But very, very interesting, very, very creative. Uh, and, uh, of course, at Beth Messiah, who could ever forget Geraldo, right? Uh, and uh, other, other uh, uh, kinds of uh, Purim plays and skits and celebrations. We uh, have a Purim carnival. Boy, tomorrow we'll be having our carnival. We pull out all the stops for our Purim carnival, let me tell you. So uh, if you just know kids, bring them. You know what I mean? If you, uh, I, in, what a great, what a fun time. Uh, and what a, great, what a great introduction to Beth Messiah. <laughs> you know, there you go. Uh, and all kinds of uh, all kinds of celebrations, and of course, hamantaschen, right? Uh, the great uh, pastry that we have um, uh, at uh, Purim. There's a lot of lessons in the story of Purim. Uh, the, the lesson of God's faithfulness to uh, Israel, to the Jewish people, but also in our own lives, and uh, you know, uh, there's there's personal application national, you know, application to us, but also personal application. You know, the character of Esther and Mordecai serve as, a, as a great studies of what one person can do to make a difference. And not just in the, you know, sometimes when we think about making a difference, thinking about, you know, in the universe or, or in the world, make a difference in the world, but sometimes we're just making a difference where we live, you know, making a difference in my own life. Uh, making a difference, being proactive in my own uh, family, in my own situation, uh, on my street, in my community, whatever, whatever it may be. Uh, there are great lessons there. So we want to take a look at a little bit at Mordecai and a little bit at Esther and then see some other lessons that we learn and what we can apply to ourselves. Mordecai himself is a very interesting character uh, in the story. Uh, Mordecai at the beginning uh, is sort of like the main, the main character. Uh, Esther, we don't hear, as we said on Wednesday, we don't hear anything from Esther until the middle of chapter 4. You know, up until there, it's basically what Mordecai is doing and saying in terms of these uh, characters. We know what happens to Esther, right? We know that she's taken. We know that she's brought into the harem. We know that, uh, you know, she finds favor. And by the way, just so I don't forget this, you know, Esther's character is a little bit like Joseph and Daniel uh, in the Bible, being brought into a foreign land and being shown favor by the foreigners and ending up being the hero of the story, you know, and, and making a difference. That's kind of interesting. Mordecai as well, but, but clearly... Uh, Esther. In fact, it says that Esther found favor, very much like we read about Joseph, very much like we read about Daniel, that Esther found favor before everyone uh, that she was with when, when, she was, uh, when she was taken. But it's not until the fourth chapter that we hear her voice. 
that uh, she's kind of like a cardboard character or, or traveling in the background until we get to the fourth, uh, until we get to the fourth chapter. With Mordechai, it's interesting. Mordechai is uh, certainly uh, a man of faith, but I would suggest that as a man of faith, uh, he grew in his faith in this. Uh, one thing about Esther and Mordechai in this story is they are real people who, who kind of, you know, they're, they're not um, uh, cardboard characters, as we'll see, that they, they uh, really emote and we, we can empathize with what they go through. So Mordechai, and we, it's interesting, we don't pay attention to this too much usually when we tell the story. But after Esther is taken, Mordechai is worried. Mordechai is anxious about what Esther's welfare, uh, what Esther's uh, welfare uh, is. So you see here that in verse 11, and every day Mordechai walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. So he goes back and forth, like he's worried. He doesn't know how she's doing. So even though he's a person of faith, right? He, uh, he's worried. He's concerned. Uh, he doesn't just say, well, you know, que uh, Sarah, Sarah, God is in charge and uh, whatever will be, will be. This is very important. The book of Esther, of course, if you've ever studied it, it, what always comes up is the providence of God, right? Like the invisible hand of God. But it's important to understand that it's not just, uh, it's not like uh, a game. It's not like the game of risk, the real, like the board game, right? Where you have a board and then you have little plastic players and battleships. But then you have human beings saying, okay, move that over there. Okay, move that over there. So it's not a case like we are all uh, little uh, characters uh, in the game on the board. Uh, and then God is sort of like, okay, I'll move this one over here, uh, and, and then this one will do that, right? Uh, we are not people of fate, okay? Uh, but people of faith. Very, very important. So when we talk about the providence of God, it's not just simply that God is working behind the scenes and controlling everything. Uh, as we'll see, uh, that uh, the characters in the story make a difference. Uh, and it's very, very important uh, uh, as the story unfolds to see that. So in other words, so I say that here because Mordecai isn't simply saying, well, God will work it out. He opens doors, he closes doors. He'll work it out and I'm just going to wait for whatever will happen. He's concerned, he's worried, right? All right. Then we see uh, at the beginning of chapter 4, isn't it amazing? I actually know where this verse is. Yes. Uh, in chapter 4, in verse 1, uh, he, Mordechai learned all that had been done and he about, about what's going to happen to the Jewish people. And it says, He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. So, another, again, He's not simply sitting back saying, my faith is in God, and so uh, I trust God, so I'm not going to be uh, upset about this. I'm not going to weep over it. I'm just going to wait for something to happen. 
okay? There are certain theologies that uh, kind of hold to that, you know, uh, like the story of the guy, uh, the guy who falls, holds a particular view of all of this and falls down a flight of stairs and gets up, dusts himself off, and he's, he's, he's hurting, and he says, well, thank you, Lord, that that thing's done, you know? Now just on to the next thing, what, you know, whatever else is going to happen, you know? And sometimes that's how, uh, how we live as believers, but that is not how the Bible reads. That is not how people in the Bible live their lives, okay? Very important. Uh, sometimes our theology doesn't match up to the Word of God. How could that be, right? All right. Uh, so, now with Esther, so we see Mordecai here. He's, he's upset, he's emoting, you know, he's a real person uh, and concerned, like we would be uh, uh, as well. What's also interesting is that he does not say anything to Esther until she inquires of him why he's wearing sackcloth and ashes, what's going on. In other words, it's not until Esther communicates with him that he says anything to her. It's not like he automatically had this plan and he figures out a way to get the message to her. So it's very interesting. Uh, you could wonder that perhaps when she communicates with him, this was a way of God, in a weird, mysterious kind of way, speaking into Mordecai's life, you know, that, that uh, here's what I want you to do. All is not lost. Because you get the feeling, uh, uh, when, you just, when you just read it, that for Mordecai, kind of like all is lost at the beginning of chapter 4. He's just mourning and wailing and, and like all is lost. But then when, when Esther says what's going on, it's like now he has a, a plan. So it's very interesting. So uh, you read here uh, that uh, uh, Mordecai, well, we'll just here read this portion of the, uh, of the chapter. So uh, uh, Mordecai is weeping bitterly and loudly. He went so far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing. Many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen uh, writhed in great anguish. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hatach from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what, was, what this was and why it was. So Hatach went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict, which had been issued in Shushan for their destruction, that he might show Esther and inform her uh, and to order her to go into the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for the people. So now he, he, uh, he has an opportunity uh, to do something, and he does it, okay? Uh, and so I, uh, the, the message is brought to Esther, right? But Esther responds, I can't do it, right? I, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law that he be put to death. 
unless the king holds out to him the scepter so that he may live. And I have not yet been summoned to come to the king uh, for these uh, 30 days. So she says, I'm afraid. I can't do it. And then Mordechai responds, replies to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Right? And so we, we see that he further responds with a plan to accomplish the deliverance. He doesn't just, see, this is very important. He does, from Mordechai's side, we didn't get to Esther's side yet. From Mordechai's side, he doesn't just say, let's pray for deliverance. He has a plan, right, of action. And then Esther responds. We hear her voice. Suddenly, she's like in charge, you know. Uh, and, and, uh, And this is what she says. Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Shushan and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast for the sa- in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Suddenly, we see Esther has a whole different attitude. Now she's willing to die for the sake of the people, right? And you see this balance. Fast and pray. Fast and pray and act. It's not one or the other. It's both and. Fast and pray and act. So first, in Esther's life, what we see is she's passive, young, vulnerable, and controlled by others. Okay? Then we see she's active, she gives instruction, she, she uh, has a plan, and she's courageous. What has taken place? There's a turning point, Right? Uh, in, as we read in, in Esther 4.14, she is confronted by Mordechai to act. We could say that perhaps Esther encountered God in her conversation with Mordechai. It was convicting. And then she responds, as we read, right? We could say that Esther discovered a divine identity, a purpose, calling, a, 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 a reason to act in the circumstances that she was in. What she is saying is, I am no longer, I'm not going to be personally, of course, she's speaking really on behalf of her people, but it's personified in her. She and Mordechai personify the people, okay? Like I said, Mordechai was, uh, was uh, in sackcloth and ashes. All the people were in sackcloth and ashes, right? Uh, but now Esther uh, acts. So what Esther is saying, we will not be a victim here. We will act. And it's not a case, and remember this, it's not a case of you either fast and pray or you act. No, it's you fast and pray and you act. That's why we are not people of fate. We play a role in the deliverance, right? Yeshua, for example, spearheads our deliverance, right? He dies for our sins. He's risen from the dead. He makes a way for us. But did you ever wonder why it is that the apostles... I find great meaning in their suffering along with Yeshua, like suffering like Yeshua. You know, as Paul says in Philippians, experiencing the fellowship of his sufferings. Or uh, Peter and John rejoicing after they're whipped 39 times. 
you know, in uh, the book of Acts. The reason is, is because they understand they're playing a role in the deliverance of the people. Esther and Mordechai play a role in their own deliverance and the deliverance of the people. Yes, God is faithful. God acts. But he desires that we be faithful and act accordingly. Whether we're talking about issues in our own lives, our own homes, in our own community, in this world. Fast, pray, and act. Now, yes, God is providential. God does, you know, the invisible hand of God is involved behind the scenes in all that happens. Well, you know, it's interesting, if you go back to the Torah itself, toward the very end of his life, Moses uh, has a very interesting, his last speeches are very interesting. Now, of course, you know, if, if I was Moses, uh, and I knew I wasn't going to be going into the land with the people, I would just be like pumping them with encouragement. Pumping them. You can do this. You keep your eyes on God. Move forward. And what does Moses actually say? In several different ways, he says, listen, I've been with you long enough. And I know, I know what you're like. And I know that when you go into the land, you're going to forget about God. And I know that uh, what's going to happen is you're going to gain wealth and all this, and you're going to attribute it to yourself. Then what's going to happen, and remember this when it happens, that uh, God is going to take enemies and swoop in, uh, and the land is going to be uh, just pillaged, uh, and you're going to lose the land. So I'm writing this down so you remember this. But recognize it's not the end of the world. What's going to happen is actually foreign nations are going to come and they're going to wonder, wow, how is it that their God uh, allowed this to happen? That's all, by the way, in uh, chapter 29 of Deuteronomy, followed up in, verse, in chapter 32 uh, and 33. All right. Uh, now, the reason I tell you that is because Moses says something in this. When he tells him this is all going to happen, right? And then, that's in, that's in chapter 29. Then in chapter 30 is good news. After all this happens, I'm going to take you from the four corners of the earth, and I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to circumcise your heart, and you're going to walk with me. But right in between, there's a verse. Right in between, all these terrible things are going to happen, and then I'm going to return you uh, to the land. There's a famous verse, and you can always remember it because it's Deuteronomy 29, 29, right? Don't you love it? That's, okay, I can remember it. The same number twice. This is where it says in the Bible, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. So in other words, you're going to remember this. That you're going to say, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening in, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our lives? You know, well, he's already explained about the sinfulness, you know, and that's why it's going to happen. But, but it's a natural thing to say, why this? Why now? Why me? Why us? You see? And, you know, and, and so Moses, the great theologian, says the secret things belong to God. The why question in your own life you may not get an answer to the exact why. But God has told us how we are, what we are called to do. He's revealed to us a lot to be faithful, to remain faithful. Uh, the very same thing is said in the, um, in the prophet Habakkuk. There, Habakkuk is complaining. 
with, it's like with his fist toward God. How long, O oh Lord? How long are you going to let ungodliness reign all around me? How long? And this is in, in Israel. He's not talking about the enemies coming against us. How long are, is there going to be violence? How long is there going to be unethical and immoral behavior? And how long is all this going to be? And then God says, I'm going to do something you're not going to believe, Habakkuk. And it's kind of like what Moses says. I'm going to take an enemy, and the enemy is going to swoop in and be my hand of judgment. And then Habakkuk says, no way! That can't be you speaking because that's not how you work, God. I'm telling you how you work. It's not what you do, right? And then God says again, this is what I'm going to do. And then Habakkuk, uh, you, you can read it on your own. At the beginning of the second chapter, he's like hanging on for dear life. And he says, I know I'm going to be reproved. Like I might have gone over the line, but I'm going to hang on. And then God responds. And, uh, and what God says is, listen, I'm going to bring judgment on the Babylonians. Uh, and, you know, it's set. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen at the right time. And it won't delay. But then he says, but if it tarries, wait for it. Wait a minute. If it's not going to delay, how can it be tarrying? Right? In other words, from Habakkuk's point of view, it's taken forever. And it might not even happen in his lifetime. But from God's point of view, it's all unfolding. But so what does God tell him to do? The famous verse that's quoted in the Brit Chadashah. In the meantime, the just shall live by faith or live in faithfulness, really. So he says this like the same thing. The secret things belong to God, but your role is to be faithful. And faithful doesn't just mean celebrate Jewish holidays, you know, and, uh, uh, and you know, things of that and make sure you're here on Shabbat. Right? It means to act in a moral and ethical way in our, in our world. Uh, and sometimes uh, it can be quite difficult and scary. Uh, and, uh, and, and the fact is, is what we learn from the story of Esther is that as much as this is about the providence of God, it's as much about human responsibility to act. Human responsibility to act. People are responsible. So we have in the story of Esther, evil people who are able to do wrong, right? Evil people who, who are able to do wrong. You know, in the providence of God, you know, and throw in this in, in the mixture of all that understanding of God, is that God uh, created, uh, in the, he created human beings in his image and in his likeness. But, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that being created in his image and likeness, he didn't make us automatons. That's why you read again in the Torah, choose, choose which way you will go. Not, okay, I've, uh, I've programmed you to choose me. That's not how it works. That's not how it works, you see? Uh, and so in this world, in fact, you know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he refers to Satan as the god of this world who blinds the eyes of the unbelieving. So there's real evil in this world. People can do evil, as is quite clear in the world in which we live, right? There's no sugarcoating that. Uh, you know, we don't have to give God a, uh, an excuse, uh, uh, you know, or speak for him. Yes, evil can indeed happen uh, in uh, this world. 
But what we know is that God will never be thwarted by evil, but bad things certainly uh, uh, can happen. And so what we see in the story is, so you have Haman, you know, uh, but you also see Jewish people who must take responsibility, must, we'll just say it plainly, work with God to bring to pass his will, must cooperate with the Lord uh, uh, to walk uh, in his uh, ways. That's why it's not about fate, faith, trust, moving forward, keeping our eyes fixed on Yeshua no matter what happens. See, we are called to be active participants. So, boy, this applies in so many areas of our lives. We may be in a situation where if we don't act, something bad could happen. Just like Esther and Mordechai. Something bad was going to happen. And Mordechai, who had been dressed in sackcloth and ashes, got up and did something. He spoke to Esther. Esther took the risk and went before the king. Yes, we pray, but we are also called upon to act. And when we act, no doubt risk is involved. Risk is involved. Esther did not know what was going to happen. She knew that she was doing the right thing. That's the, the only way you can do the right thing like that is you have conviction. I know I'm doing the right thing. And you know she needed, boy, every Esther needs a Mordecai. And I'm not talking about men and women or that. I'm not talking about it. But every Esther needs a Mordecai. Everybody who's called upon to take the risk needs someone to say, yes, you're doing the right thing. This is, what, this is the right thing to do. This is what God has called you to do. Now, Esther really might have been thinking, why me? Why, why do I have to be in this situation? You know, But yet, her conviction of what was right overtook her fear. And so, so even though she may have been fearful, her conviction in what was right and what, in what Mordecai had said, that God had raised her up for such a time as this, overcame the fear. And so she goes to the king. And you know in the story, she's afraid because first, there's Haman right there, right in front of her. And, and, and the king says, what, would you, what do you want? Half the kingdom. And she says, come back tomorrow. You know, let's do it again. Uh, evidently, she had to build up the courage you know, to, to speak up. But indeed, uh, she, she does, right? So I, uh, the, the fact of the matter is, is that in our own lives, we may not know, we may not know how the situation will turn out, but what we know is I'm acting in faith with right conviction. Not every story ends the way, the way Esther ends, and that's true. But like we read in the book of Hebrews, in the Brit Hadashah, in the 11th chapter, that yes, many die in faith. But remember that the fact is, is that uh, in faith, in trusting God, we're moving forward, uh, you know, his calling and his program. And, you know, uh, two examples from the New Covenant. One is Yeshua himself. You could say that, you know, horizontally, uh, it didn't quite work out, right? Uh, you know, uh, uh, not everybody turned from their sins. There were still lots of uh, sick people when he died. There was still uh, a lot of people who were demon-possessed when he died. 
The Romans uh, were still the same Romans uh, when he died, right? Uh, yet he acted in, uh, in faith, right? Um, but we know that his death was, of course, meaningful, obviously, right? He took our sins upon himself. Uh, and most importantly, he rose from the dead, uh, a conquering death. I would suggest that when Stephen, you know who Stephen is? Anybody know who Stephen is? Right? Uh, when you read the uh, seventh chapter of the book of Acts, Stephen gives a speech. We just talked about it in our Bible study. And a great discussion ensued about whether, whether he was over the top, you know, in what he said. Because let's just say his speech wasn't received too well. Okay? And he ends up getting killed for it. Ends up getting killed for it. But it's interesting, as he's dying, he says, uh, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. That's what he says. That's his last words. Just like Yeshua, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. He saw himself as identified with, 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 with Yeshua, doing the right thing, even though it doesn't seem to work out. Paul is another one, right? Uh, he uh, faced a lot of opposition uh, in his, uh, you know, in his uh, uh, ministry. And he died uh, with all the still the same things going on. Uh, uh, you know, he didn't see the return of the Lord in his lifetime. And you know what's interesting about him is that at the beginning, remember this, you can read it on your own. When you read the early letters of Paul, the early ones, like 1 Thessalonians, very early, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, very early, one of the first letters he wrote, he is sure that Yeshua is going to return in his lifetime. He says the dead in Messiah will rise and we who are alive. He doesn't, it doesn't even, he doesn't think that he might be one of those dead in Messiah, right? Then compare that with 2 Corinthians, perhaps the last letter that he writes. There, he says, uh, for example, he says, I can't decide what's better, to die and then I'll be with the Lord or, you know, continue to suffer for your sake. And of course, he picks the latter to suffer for their sake. And it's in 2 Corinthians, his most personal letter, where he really talks about how he feels about things. He says this, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always caring about in the body the dying of Yeshua, that the life of Yeshua also may be manifested in our body. For we who, are, we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Yeshua's sake, that the life of Yeshua also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And he goes on. Uh, and so he understands this, this uh, identity in Yeshua and that, and that he and others play a role in the deliverance and in the redemption, even though they might not see the final day. And so be encouraged that whatever is going on in your life, you may not know the outcome, but remember this, that God indeed uh, is faithful and that by your conviction in doing right, in and of itself, just in and of itself, is moving forward God's deliverance of this world. He's responsible for the outcomes and the secret things belong to God. We're responsible for what we know. And we're called, yes, to obey the word. And obeying the word means 
loving your neighbor as yourself, speaking into people's lives, making difficult choices, uh, often, oftentimes doing the right thing. And so as Esther's, we're called to do the right thing. But boy, we all need Mordechai's to validate us. Yes, keep moving. Yes, do the right thing. And yes, there is always risk involved. And so I'll just say, you know, today, if, uh, if you're here and you're kind of uh, uh, not sure even, you know, I feel I'm, I'm all by myself. I'm, I'm, in a, uh, I'm in a mess and I feel very isolated uh, and I feel all alone. Remember the words that, uh, you know, Jeremiah spoke begging uh, the people uh, uh, to return, right? A famous passage in the book of Jeremiah uh, in chapter, uh, interestingly enough, also in chapter 29, at least I certainly hope so, right? In Jeremiah uh, uh, chapter 29, where uh, he says this to Israel, he says this to Israel, uh, but on a certain level, we, we can make an application. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, ultimately, right? To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And then the beginning of the next verse says, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. So may I encourage us all to seek God's face. He will indeed respond. Remember the words of Yeshua in the Gospel of Matthew? Oh, how, uh, you know, some, the familiarity of these passages sometimes work against us. Uh, but think about the, the emotions involved. Uh, in Matthew chapter 11, at the end, what does Yeshua say? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. By the way, that's another quote from Jeremiah. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. What's heavy is when we're carrying it around all by ourselves. That's where it's heavy, okay? Now, you know, when uh, Yeshua says, take my yoke upon you, um, I, uh, and that he's going to take the load. Remember this, very, very important, that even when Yeshua is saying this, we are never called upon to live in isolation. Like, okay, God, I'm telling you my problem, but I still don't feel lighter. Other people who know the Lord, we're called to walk together in this thing. And I would suggest that when we can share our burdens with another person of faith, we're walking through it together, and everybody needs other people to help them get through it, okay? So burdens get lifted when we share the burdens. And I would suggest that all those one another passages that you read about in the, you know, in the letters, in the Brit Harasha scriptures, is an application of Yeshua saying, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls, that that we're called to be members one of another and walk through it all indeed uh, uh, together. Sometimes we suffer doing the right thing, but we're called upon indeed 
to do the right thing. And we see that here in Esther. Now, finally, uh, the issue of just a word about uh, God's covenant faithfulness, uh, indeed, to Israel. It's very interesting here uh, that, um, uh, you, know, you know, you have evil Haman uh, coming against the Jewish people. A great picture of anti-Jewish feelings and, uh, and, and uh, nationalism uh, among the nations where the Jewish people are the object of uh, persecution. So the story of Esther is sort of like the paradigm of, uh, of Jewish history. But it's very interesting. You read uh, in Psalm 83 uh, that uh, Israel is persecuted by ungodly nations because Israel has this relationship with God, even if the nations don't recognize it. Here you read in Psalm 83, O God, do not remain quiet, do not be silent, and O God, do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. And those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, come, let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. They have conspired together with one mind against you. Uh, 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 against you, do they make a covenant? And then he goes on and on. And, and then the prayer is, God, take care of them, you know? And we know that ultimately that is indeed how the plan of God will work out uh, in, in this world. And so, as we said at the very beginning, Israel as a nation represents the presence of God. Now, Israel as a nation, then, uh, uh, in, in Yeshua, Israel and the nations who come under the banner of the God of Israel represent the presence of God in this world and therefore will indeed face persecution. Uh, and so how important it is for us to recognize that in our world today. Uh, in another message, on another day, we could point out the fact that, you know, last year in 2017, more uh, anti-Jewish acts have taken place uh, in, in, in the United States, in the United States, than in many, I don't remember what the statistic is, but in many, 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 many years, right? We need to see that just as a nation becomes what we call post-biblical in its worldview, and the farther away we move away from the moorings of God, the more trouble for Jews. Uh, that's history, uh, and history repeats itself. Uh, and so may we have eyes to see uh, and act accordingly. And so it's the same application of in our own lives and homes. May God give us eyes to see, ears to hear, to stand up, to pray, and to act. Let's pray. Lord, uh, uh, God, uh, thank you, God, for the profound message of the story of Esther. Lord, yes, we rejoice because of the victory. And, and Lord, may we never lose uh, sight of the victory, even if we don't see it. Lord, so many of us are right in the middle of the story of Esther in our own lives. And we may not see the victory today, right, right now. But Lord, I pray that uh, you would give us a vision. You would help us to be like Hagar, you know, to open our eyes, to see you there in the wilderness with the well of water. Or, or, or just as Abraham has the knife about to uh, slay Isaac, his eyes are opened and there's the ram caught in the thicket. Lord, I pray, God, that you would open our eyes and deliverance would come. But God, I pray 
that we would have the courage to act, to make right choices, to bring deliverance in the lives of people, in our own lives, homes, world, as we work with, as we are bond slaves of yours, serving you, working with you to bring deliverance in this world. We pray in Yeshua's name.